Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, let's get the business out of the way first. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, as well as share on social media, tell a friend, also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. I know New Year's was last week, but I haven't had a chance to talk to everybody, so I want to wish everybody a happy New Year's. I took last week off, of course. That's why there was no podcast, so I can enjoy the World Juniors. And it was a pretty good tournament. I was happy to see that Team USA did pretty well. They finished second to Finland. I was not happy to see that Canada didn't do well. I know a lot of people are wondering if the Canadian hockey program is still as dominant as it once was. And I still think they're an excellent program, and they have excellent coaching, excellent players. But I also think that a lot of other organizations have gotten a lot better. I look at USA Hockey, for example. Their first medal was in like 1986, and I think it was a bronze. And then their next medal wasn't until 1992 when it was a bronze again. So they went several years without meddling back in the 80s and 90s. Now they've meddled in the past four of the five tournaments. So as you can tell, they've gotten considerably better. Their program has improved. They're producing more and more players that are playing at those upper levels and are available for those upper level tournaments. And they're not the only country that's continued to improve. You look at the Finns. The Finns have won three gold since 2014. So while I think Canada is maybe not as dominant as they once were, I still think they're an excellent program. I just think everyone around them is continuing to get better and continuing to raise their level. After all, Canada still won the entire thing last year, so you can't write them off. I just think the rest of the world is kind of catching up. I know in the last episode, I talked about giving away a $10 gift card if you had given us a review. Still going to do that. I'm going to go ahead and post that on Facebook this week. So please pay attention to our Facebook page, which is Snapshots in Hockey History. Hadn't forgotten about you guys yet. I think I said I was going to do it on the first, but I got tied up. You know, family was in town, stuff like that. So I apologize for that. But I'll go ahead and release the name of the person who left us a random review. I'm just going to pick one at random and uh, just send you a $10 gift card. I'll ask for your information to ask for you to give me an email. Meanwhile, on the podcast today, we got Chris Digman. Chris comes on to tell us about the 2000-2001 Stanley Cup Finals run that he was a part of with the Colorado Avalanche. He tells some great stories, does a great impression of Bob Hartley, talks about Patrick Wall. I think everybody will really, really enjoy this. I know there are a lot of Boston Bruins fans that listen to the podcast, and I definitely do ask him about Ray Bork, but that's going to be on the second part of the interview, which will air Thursday at 8 a.m. So make sure you download that, especially if you're a Boston Bruins fan. He tells some great Ray Bork stuff, especially about Ray in the locker room, things like that. So anyways, thanks for joining us. We're going to go ahead and cut to the interview. Here's our interview with Chris Dingman. The Avalanche came off an impressive 2000-2001 campaign, winning the President's Trophy along the way. The team was 52-16-10-4. I know you were only limited to about 40 games during the regular season, but this was your third or fourth season in the NHL. How did you feel your performance had been during the regular season? Uh, Not very good. (laughs) Kind of kidding, but uh, that season, from what I remember, training camp, I got a concussion, so... That was when it was kind of, but the year before it was me and Jeff Hodgers, if I remember correctly, and then Scott Parker was the other guy. So yep. we fought like, I don't know, five times in training camp or something. And then. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I know. So <laughs> did pretty good a couple of them. And then the fight, I actually got a concussion. I 
tried to throw a jab and I shouldn't have, which was a bad mistake. And I got caught with a right in the temple and got a concussion. So didn't start off the season that well, but it seemed like that season, Bob Harley really enjoyed. We had so many good defensemen that mm-hmm. we always had a team playing forward. And it seemed like Eric Messier was a guy who got a lot of time on forward. So and he really liked Mass. Mass was a you know good guy and just a good defensive player. So uh, you know he was getting a lot of ice time, and so that season was basically it started off on the wrong foot, but. You know, it was just uh, basically, uh, you know, in and out of the lineup. And Parker was kind of the new guy where the year before I made the team and Parker got sent back to Hershey. So during the season, uh, I was limited to games, had a couple injuries. And it was just one of those things where, like, I got back in the lineup, I remember, and I was on the third line. And then I forget who we were playing. I know we are at home. And then just came back from an injury or something. And then went to hit a guy and tore my MCL. And yeah. I was out again. So I was just kind of bad luck, I guess. Yeah, just during the season, it was one of those things where, uh, I just couldn't seem to get going, and you know, it seemed like every year in my career, for the most part, they're always they're always looking. The coach is always looking for someone to replace me. <laughs> but, so I was like, hey, you know, you want to play in the regular season, but you know, even when I was in Tampa, like they're always looking for somebody to replace you. And then come playoff time, they they realize that uh, you know they knew exactly what they were going to get out of me, so I ended up playing. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those seasons where it was this great team. We had a lot of good players and. You know, it's pretty hard to argue going, you know, when I look back and I go, like, I played, a, I don't know, 10 Hall of Famers or maybe 12, 14 at some point. Oh, the team was What's stacked. There? The team was, yeah. it was stacked. I mean, you had Ray Bork, you had Joe Sackick, you had Peter Forsberg. What gets me about something you said was that no matter what, you felt like you were always trying to be replaced. Mentally, I, I mean, that's got to be draining on you, isn't it? Pretty tiring, to be honest with you. Yeah, you just, the year before, I just had a, had a good year. I made the team and. Seemed like every time there was an injury or someone got hurt, I moved up to the third line. I got some second power play time with it seemed to be Drury and Hayduk, which was awesome because life's easy. Just going to get the puck. Right, right. Those guys. And, and then, uh, you know, see that year too, we had, we had so many good defensemen that the fourth line consisted of myself and Jeff Rogers, and they'd rotate to Peter Forsberg and Joe Sackick between us. So it was awesome. I had eight goals that year. So I was going to say, um, not a couple bad guys to get paired with. Oh, perfect. <laughs> just again, go get the pocket, give it to him and get open. But yeah, it was just, uh, you know, there were so many good players that, you know, when you're not playing, it's disappointing. And, you know, when you're four flying is either like a Dan Hynode or a Dave Reed or Steve Reinprecht, like it's pretty tough to argue. And then, you know, come playoff time, Scott Parker wasn't even playing. You know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty difficult to uh, to argue with uh, not playing just because we had so many good players. And, you know, we dressed 7D that, uh, I mean, even on the defensive side of things, when you got uh, Ray Bork, you got Rob Blake, Adam Foote, uh, Miller before we traded him, and Greg DeVries, who was a real steady guy, Martin School, who was a first or second rounder. So, yeah, we had great players. So, yeah, I was always, uh, always on my way uh, out of the lineup or hopefully trying to get back in. So, it was a little bit draining, but uh, I guess it's part of the part of the gig, I guess. And you just try and uh, do whatever you can. And I just always worked hard. I mean, Joe Sackick was a great, great mentor, and he was a great example of he was one of the best players in the world, and he was in great shape, and you know was always in the gym. So, you know, my time there, and even when I started in Calgary, I was always I'd always work out before practice, and I'd go out and really shoot on the goalies and. And then practice, and then uh, when I was playing for Bob, it was always a bag skate for us four fine guys and whoever. I wasn't playing that much, so every practice was a bag skate. So it was the point where, you know, we were doing it so much, you know, we were like, okay, let's just do it and get it over with. And <laughs> go ride the, and go ride the bike after or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 
it was tiring at times, but, uh, you know, I just, uh, you always knew come playoff time. I just always had a feeling I played better because I just knew, I just felt like I'd play. So, yeah, I was a little bit draining. Sorry. Long way to answer a short No, question. no, it's great. No, talk as much as you'd like. I love this. The season is getting ready to wind down. We're covering the playoff run. The team had a great year. You won the President's Trophy. I know it hadn't been the best year for you, but as a whole, how did the team feel kind of going into the playoffs? What was everyone's mentality? No, it was just... Uh, like I try to tell people, like you know, what, when people ask me which cup was better, Colorado or or Tampa, and it, you know, I kind of say Colorado, but you can't really, you know, you win a cup, you win a cup. It's very difficult to do, and you know, I tell people like you look at Alex Ovechkin when winning a cup, and like, he didn't even care if he scored. He's so happy for everyone right. else. He's blocking shots, and you know, I look at that team where you know the Avs, and it was just uh, we lost the year before Game Seven. I wasn't playing, and we hit two posts. I just remember Bob and uh, Bob Harley and, and Pierre Lacroix and everyone saying like, if we have a Game Seven, it's going to be in our building. So the, the the goal from the start of the season was we're going to finish first overall. So if we have a Game Seven, it's in our building. Last is unacceptable, and that was it was awesome. It was such a good mentality to be around, just a good atmosphere. You know, coming from Calgary, where. You know, it's just like, hey, we're going to try and make the playoffs and hopefully make the playoffs. And I still say this now, like, your goal as a professional player in the NHL is to win a cup. Whether that's really attainable is, you know, you look at eight-place teams that make it all the way to the finals, but, you know, your mentality is to win a Stanley Cup. So, you know, I just love that from the start. And, you know, they weren't sure if Ray Bork was going to come back, and then he decided to come back. And that was it. It was, I think it was mission 16 W, 16 wins. And that was our mission it was to win. And if we had a game seven, it'd be in our building. And that was the whole focus throughout the season. And it was, it was great. There was pressure, but it was, it was a good kind of pressure where, you know, everyone was pulling in the same direction and was on the same page. And it was just, it was awesome. To steal a word that you just used, you start your mission against the eighth place Vancouver Canucks who are coached by former abs coach, Mark Crawford. Prior to the series, you're quoted in the Vancouver sun as saying we can retaliate or we can initiate. We're not going to sit around and let them hit us. If they're going to be hard on our forwards, we have to be hard on theirs. And if they take stupid penalties, we'll put the puck in the net. You know, I know that you didn't actually get a sweater during this series, but you were training and you were working out. What did you know about the Canucks at the time? Yeah, I'm just thinking back to that time. And I know, like, obviously, Brashear was there and Joe was there and Mike Strudwick. So they had some bigger guys. And I think Brad May was there, too. And they had a veteran team. And, you know, obviously had some skill, but, you know, I was kind of like, it was like, I remember, like, uh, you know, that movie where the, about the enforcers and, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was a great documentary. And I just remember Jason Strudwick, uh, I saw a video clip and, you know, Strudge and I had fought, I don't know how many times in junior and how many times pro. And then he just made a comment. It was like, every time we played Colorado, it was like, okay, Brashear was fighting Parker and I was fighting Dingman. And, you know, he just kind of knew. And, you know, we had a skilled team. We didn't have the biggest team. We had a skilled team, and that was obviously the mentality of other teams. And you know, every time we played Van, it was like, you know, that was Jovanovski. I think that was when he caught Deadmarsh and, you know, could custom and stuff. And so we had some rough games. And, you know, but that was kind of we, – we knew that where, you know, our skilled guys, new guys were going to go after them. And, uh, you know, they just had to play their game. And I had all the respect in the world for the Peter Forsbergs and the Joe Sackicks and – because it's hard to be a top guy in this league. Being a fighter's tough because you're you know, one punch away from you know being knocked out on national television. I, and, I can't even imagine. Gosh, but those guys just to you know game in a game out, and like obviously the games changed quite a bit. And, you know, but back then there was there wasn't a lot of obstruction uh, calls, let's say, because there was a lot of obstruction. There was right. a lot of hooking and holding and slashing and whacking and 
you know, so it's difficult uh, to be a skilled guy. It really is. Like, you know, I have all the respect in the world for, you know, those guys that, you know, score 20, 30, 40 goals year after year because you get guys all over you. And especially back then, I was, you know, I used to I joke with my teams I coach now when we have a ref that lets everything go. And I'm like, hey, boys, it's prison rolls. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, unless you tackle somebody, they're not calling. So it's not a penalty. So you got to fight through it. And that's kind of, you know, what I think uh, we knew we had to fight through that. Anytime you were playing a lower-seeded team, that they were going to come after you and try and be physical and get you off your game. Skipping forward, game one, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this series because you did not play in it, but I know you were sure. around. Game one was a 5-4 win with the Avalanche scoring three on the power play, and game two is a 2 nothing win for the Avs thanks to goals from Milan Haydu and Vili Niemannen. Vili Niemannen's a guy that we haven't really talked about on the podcast. For listeners who, <laughs> might, <laughs> for listeners who might not know much about him, what kind of player was he? Uh, he was a miserable prick to play against. He was just, uh, <laughs> is that a quote? Is that a quote? Yeah. He, cool. yeah, he was miserable to play against. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was miserable. Like when we played, he played in Calgary when we, uh, when I was with the lightning, we played against him in the finals and he was a workout guy. He was like jacked up. Like he was, he was squatting like, I don't even know, some ridiculous weight and he hurt his back one time. And I'm like, how much were you squatting? I was like, Oh, I was only like uh, 500 pounds. Okay. Nemo, like calm down. Nobody, but you know, he, uh, if I remember correctly, he was playing with Peter and Joe or one of the combination of the two. And yeah, he's just, he was one of those guys. He just wanted to punch him in the face. Like we always joked around. If you ever watch him, like during a game, like he, he has the best facial expressions where it's like saying his vowels with his, you know, mouth open, like <laughs> A-E-I-O-U, and so he's got a pain expression, but yeah, he was, uh, just a miserable guy. You just like you get under like uh, Tekin and like guys like that yep. before him, or you just uh, you just want to like you just want to inflict bodily harm on them. <laughs> Say it politely. <laughs> Those are guys you like to have on your team, and you know when they're playing against you or they're <laughs> you want to kill them. No, <laughs> no, that's 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 uh, some people would probably say the same thing about you. Yeah, I think maybe at times, but I, I don't think I'm that as, as annoying as he was. I'll take, it. <laughs> I'll take it. Game three is another one goal game with the Avalanche once again winning this time four to three. There was a lot of talk about Adam Foote's goal celebration during this game after he scored the game winning goal on the power play. He skated up to the boards and taunted the entire Canucks team. I know in the past, hockey's made a big deal with showboating, and, and Don Cherry's not a fan of it. When this happens, you know, what's the team? How does a team react to something like that? Well, it depends which, which side you're on, but I know, like, so Adam Flow was a guy, and look at this way, you have leaders, and Patrick Watt didn't say very much here and there, and neither did Joe Sackick, and Forsberg did a little bit, but, you know, Adam Flow was, like, the vocal leader, and he, I consider him, like, I call him, like, the sheriff. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said. He'd say, like, you know, F you, you know, whatever, and he was miserable to play against. He was miserable to practice against. We were good buddies, and, you know, I remember he's, like, Hey, Dish, you want to come over and watch Monday Night Football and, you know, have a couple beers and stuff? And I was like, oh, sure. You know, I was a young kid. My wife wasn't down here, girlfriend at the time, and so I was just uh, by myself. And so I was like, oh, sure. So I went over and had a couple beers and chicken wings. And the next day of practice, he was like, in front of everybody, just lit me up. Like, how many wings did you how many chicken wings and beers did you have last night, you fat? And you know what? I was like, well, what? <laughs> well, wait a second. I thought yeah. we were supposed to be team bonding here. I know. I was like, well, he's like, but it was all his thing. And it was, uh, he would just call anyone out. It was just all part of the of the way he did that. I'm like, what are you talking? Like, what are you, man? I was at your house, like, sh- you know, whatever. And it was just his thing. And he just had that. And he just liked to. And he, you know, in practice, he'd flip my helmet off my head all the time and cross check me and whack me. And then I turn around and cross check him once. And Harley was be screaming at me. Like, and I'm like, 
dude just cross checked me ten times. I think he's screaming at me. And but yeah, that's the way he played. So the Tony on the bench was basically the middle, you know, double middle fingers to their team. Where if you want to be a holes and you know play the role and stuff, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you or stick it to you a little bit. So that's just the way it was. He was. Again, like you take a Billy Neiman and he times it by a hundred, and that's Adam Flood. He's a guy you you want to go to war with, you want to have on your team, and you definitely don't want to play against as a forward because you know you're gonna get hacked and whacked and taunted and called a <laughs> called every name in the book. Yeah, my favorite my favorite animal is a pussy cat. <laughs> <laughs> so, a nice way of saying it. We've talked a little bit about the pesky guys so far. You mentioned Billy Neiman, and you, we've talked about about Adam Foot. Where would you rank them in peskiness? Is there anybody that you thought was worse than them in the league when you played? I mean, there's plenty of guys. I mean, you look at the Cooks of the world and Avery for a little time, but I mean, there's different kinds. Like to me, there's different kinds of pests where pesky guys or agitators, whatever you want to call them. And I mean, there's the guys that run their mouths and they hack and whack you a little bit, but you know, and there's guys that are just miserable to play against. And you know, I don't fool. But definitely, you know, you look at the, the, you know, people always ask me, were you there for the, the you know, the, for the Red Wings and mm-hmm. have stuff, you know, in all the fights? I was like, no, I missed it, but it would have been awesome. To, and we had a couple line brawls and, you know, I remember the one time I got locked up with Brendan Shanahan and I'm like, I don't want to fight this guy. Like, <laughs> I have all respect in the world for him. So I was trying to fight him and he was such a strong guy. And I'm like, I don't even really want to fight you. It was just weird. Like, uh, Jeff Rogers was going after uh, Aaron Ward <laughs> and he was trying to pound him so we just started something just so he could grab him and try and lay a beating on him because he was running around and whatever you know and like, I'm just, I don't like Shannon like I don't really want to fight you so I was trying to rip his helmet off he's like if you break this helmet I'm gonna snap he's like I've had this helmet for 14 years <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well like finally said like listen dude, I don't want to fight you like I'll just make it look like I'm trying to throw a couple punches he's like oh, okay whatever but you know you just look at those those battles and you know the forefront of all of it and just the guy that was always in there was Adam Foote and you know, something that people don't know is a goalie, you can have your own room on the road because, you know, we all know goalies are a little different. You know, you're allowed there as a goalie, you can have your own room, and then they change the rules. I think it was after 600 games pro, you can have your own room. But otherwise than that, you had a roommate. And, you know, little known fact is that Adam Foote and Patrick Wild were roommates on the road for pretty much the entirety of their time playing together. And a lot of people don't know that. And it's, you know, I said to Footy, like, what, you know, what do you do with Patty? He's like, oh, you know, Patty, he needs a roommate, you know, whatever. And he just, uh, he's just a guy you want to have on your team. And he was always in the battles. And you just look at his face. You know, he's just one of those, one of those guys where you look at his face, you know, he played the game hard. And he was just a miserable guy, just miserable to play. It just, you didn't, and that's like, you look up toughness and there's fighting toughness and there's toughness. And right. I, you know, kids I coach now and I'm like, like, you know what hard to play against is? And they're like, oh, well, you mean like, whatever. I'm like, if you're going to score, you're going to get hacked and you're going to get whacked. You're going to get hooked. You're going to get, you know, you back of the knee. You're going to just, when you, when, after you play against a guy like Adam Foote at the end of the game, you know you played against him. It wasn't an easy game. So if you scored, there was a price to be paid. You're going to get cross-checked. You're going to go whatever. Yeah, that on top of, uh, you know, he's a strong guy. So, so I say toughness, like, you could be really tough with your fists and you can be a good fighter, but you're not hard to play against. But right. if you're out there every shift and you're finishing your checks and you're hitting guys and you're giving them a face rub and, you know, like a little punch in the back of the head or a little shove, like that's hard to play against. And now those are the, like, those are the best kind of guys to have on your team. Cause they, they get like, they're just so annoying to play against and, you know, all the respect in the world for the other skilled guys on the other team to be able to score against a guy like Adam foot, because there's no easy minutes. Talk about the odd couple, though. I can't get over Adam Foote and Patrick Waugh. 
I, <laughs> just what a couple. Colorado ends up wrapping up this series in a dominant style, winning game four with a 5-1 to one victory. Moving on to the next round, the Avalanche are set to play the Los Angeles Kings, who are coming off a huge win over the Detroit Red Wings and what had to be considered a huge upset. Uh, there are several players on both teams that are familiar with each other as a result of a pretty big trade that took place on February 21st. Aaron Miller and Adam Denmarsh were traded for Rob Blake and Steven Weinpratt. This was a pretty big trade at the time. What was your reaction to that when you first heard that Deadmarsh and Miller were heading to the other coast and Blake and Weinprock were coming your way and Blake was at the top of his game? Well, I think disappointing, I think, for the fact that, you know, Adam Deadmarsh was a guy, too, where, you know, he'd been a good friend of Peter Forsberg and played with him and been a line mate of his for all those years. And Aaron Miller's a great guy. And, you know, to see guys like that go when you know you have a really good chance to win. I think, uh, you know, it's it's hard. So a little disappointing in that sense of things. But then you look at what you're getting back and you get a guy like Rob Blake and just one of the best defensemen in the game ever and a great guy, like a really good guy, like no, just a down-earth guy. And Steve Reinprecht, who, you know, I actually grew up with in Edmonton and oh, we wow. played, yeah, we played baseball together. We went to a Canadian Championship or, you know, we won the Canadian Championship and went to the Junior League World Series, I think it was called, the year after the Little League. So we played baseball together when we were younger, and we actually won minor hockey week together when we were like 10. So it was kind of neat. So it was fun to get, uh, you know, obviously disappointing to lose some good teammates and good guys, but pretty exciting in the fact that uh, you, know, you got a couple great players and a guy, you know, that I've known pretty much my whole life. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty neat. I look at that Avalanche team, and you said it yourself. You guys were pretty much pumped and set to win. Why make this change? Well, I think a couple things. I think, you know, defensively, I think anytime you can add a guy like Rob Blake, I mean, that's a – if you can add a guy like that, you add a guy like that. And every year we're just looking to add pieces. And when I say we, I mean Pierre Lacroix. Right, <laughs> and, right, right. And the management team. But, uh, you know, they wanted to win. And they knew they had the, you know, good opportunity to win. And, you know, I think just anytime you can add a guy like that, you do it. And I think – you know, the flip side of things is Denmark's had a pretty bad concussion, and I don't know if that played into it, but, you know, he was a physical guy, and he was a tough guy, and he just just never really was the same player as he was after he had that one real bad concussion in the fight against Jovanovski. And I don't know if that was uh, went into the trade at all, but um, if you want to get something – you know, like you, you talk to people, and they're like, why don't you trade for this guy, or why do you get that? Or you got to give you- something up good. Yeah, you got to give up, you know, you got to give up something good to get something, uh, get some good back. And I just look at it that way where, you know, they're looking at a top level guy and this is, you know, pre-salary cap. So, you know, it didn't really matter. You could pick up a Rob Blake and sign him to a contract. You know, they end up, Pierre Lacroix ended up uh, signing him to an extension. But, you know, before that, you didn't have to worry about money in, money out. You just had to worry about uh, talent and, you know, what the other team was willing to give up and what you had to give up. So... Yeah, just there was, was a mentality of it was an arms race that way where the top teams and the Detroits and the Colorados and those top teams were always adding a guy or two and just trying to put yourselves over the top because you knew there was so much talent in the league, especially the top teams. Games one and two are in Colorado and game one is an upset as the L.A. Kings continue their winning ways despite excellent play from Rob Blake and Chris Drury. The Avalanche come roaring back with a 2-0 win in game two. The series slips back to Los Angeles for games three and four and you're finally given a sweater. You go ahead and make your playoff debut in Game 3, and this is your NHL playoff debut. Let's talk about your feelings. What were you feeling, and how did you find out that you were going to be, you know, back in the lineup? If I remember correctly, Dave Reed got a puck off the side of his face, and 
don't know if he broke his jaw or something, but he was Ray Bork by accident and was dumping it in or something. And I remember Bob Harley called me into his office before, before we were flying to L.A. And he was like, Dish, you know, uh, he's like, a reader is not so good. So I'm going to give you a chance to play. To play and all. This is my good, poor was, attempt at a French I was going to say, the best part of the interview so <clears throat> far has been your Bob Hartley accent. Oh, that was, Bob was, Dish, uh, you know, you get a chance. Uh, no reader is a little hurt, so... The best part of like was I still still tell guys this. He's like, all I need out of you is 30, 40 seconds, hold the puck in the corner and change. That's all I need. Can <laughs> you like, give me that? And I was like, sure, absolutely. But as a coach, what did he preach? Was he an offense guy, a defense guy? What was his style? He was a very good X and O guy. I just um you know, I just remember back, he was just you know, X's nose, he was very good. He was a little, you know, he talked. The one thing I didn't like about Bob is he talked down to guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just remember, like, when, you know, we traded for Steve Reinpreck and uh, Rob Blake. And, you know, here I am playing with Steve Reinpreck. He's a pretty good player. I think he had 50 points that year or something. I don't know. He was a good player. And, you know, Dan Hynode was a great player. A good, like, one of the fastest skaters and worked hard. And, you know, West Point guy. And, you know, it's third, four flying guys, and he'll you know, be like, you guys, you're plumbers. What do plumbers do? And I'm like, I don't know, get it deep. And he's like, yeah, no business handling the puck, no business. You know, like, we all look at each other like, you know, here's Bob. He was a junior B goalie, and <laughs> he's selling first and second round picks. They have no business handling the puck. So he found it quite humorous. But, you know, he was also a guy that, you know, he, he had a certain way about him. He was obviously fiery. He was intense. And. You know, I just remember we traded for Dave Reed, and Dave Reed came to the first practice, and we're doing the penalty kill, and Reader goes, no, 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 we're not doing that. So he grabbed the dry erase marker out of Bob's hand and said, here's what Whoa. we're going to do on the penalty kill. Yeah, I know, it's great. And Bob let him let him do his thing. So, like, Bob was, you know, kind of, how do I say this properly? Just uh, certain times he's very derogatory and put you down and talk down to you and very demeaning, but at other times he'd let guys like Reader – that he obviously knew knew more or knew, you know, what they're doing. He'd let them do their thing. I've heard that Ken Hitchcock is kind of like that. He would yell at guys and scream at guys. And then if somebody would yell something back, he would just let them kind of be. I don't know yeah. if it's that same kind of thing, but it's just. Um, it's yeah, just... Well, yeah, there was a few. Yeah, there was a few FUs. And what'd you say? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Game four will be a few nights later during the playoffs. I would assume there are a lot of distractions. Being in L.A., I'm sure there was plenty as well there. But you guys remain focused. It's a 3 nothing shutout for the Avalanche. This is Patrick Waugh's 17th shutout in the playoffs, which at the time was a record. Um, we had Mike Lawler on the show previously, and he played with Patrick during his younger days. Here, Patrick was probably a year or two away from retirement. When he was younger, they said he was kind of aloof. He was kind of a little different. How was he during his older years? He was awesome. I mean, people ask me what Patty was like, and he was, he was great. I remember... Yeah, I hit him high with a puck. Puck flipped up on me. And as soon as I shot, I was like, oh, God. And just hit him in the <laughs> oh neck God. guard. And, oh, God. Oh, oh God. Yeah, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, don't hurt him. You know, I hit him in the neck guard and it made the worst sound. Like, it was like I dropped the glass and smashed it. And, you know, but Bob and Jacques Cloutier swearing at me in French. And, you know, Kyle, that's a tabernacle, you know, screaming at me. And Patty looks over at him, gives me a little, like, zip it. And I'm like, Patty, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'm like, Patty, I'm so sorry. And he's listen. You shoot at me all the time. You know, the puck flipped up on you. Don't worry about it. I'm like, you sure? You sure? He's like, don't worry about it. Nice. Like, he was just awesome like that. So he was 
So there's an instance like that where they've had other goalies where if they wanted to play the role, they'd yell and scream at you and like, you know, or try and slash you, play the goalies that would do that to other guys. And, you know, there's another time where I remember I scored on him on a two-on-one and like, I still tell the story because I love it because I'm on a two-on-one and in practice in a perfect shot, kind of short side shelf. But I knew if I was going to miss, I was going to miss wide. I'd never hit him because I hit him in the plastic guard once and that was it. Every other time was low and below the knees and so I scored and the next time I went down I was on two on one and Adam Flood was the guy playing defense and he went over the other guy on the two on one and I couldn't even tell you who it was and basically let me walk in and shoot and Patty Wall gave me half the net to shoot at but here you go on the glove side like go for it I gotta I gotta take the shot like I gotta I gotta take the shot so I go and I just rip it and like just snapper as hard as I could do and he just flashed his glove out and caught it I went in the corner, and he threw the puck at me in the corner. He goes, not this time, kid. (laughs) Perfect. Love it, man. Like, uh, just, like, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, a real defining moment that played very good. And we had a lot of turnovers and just, you know, just weren't playing the way we should. Yeah, I remember uh, Pierre Lacroix came down before practice because they they were bumping Alex Tangay to the fourth line, so I got to move up to the third line. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm getting hey, all right. five or seven minutes. I might get nine or ten. <laughs> so, I'll take it. Yeah, life's pretty good. So you know, before the game, you know, Bob gives a speech like, I don't care who it is. You know, Joe Milan doesn't matter. You know, you know, you turn the puck over, you'll sit. Uh, we're playing Calgary. We're down two nothing after two periods, and you know Pete and Joe, you know obviously fantastic players, but uh, had a couple extra large of the anchovies, like so a couple bad turnovers at the blue line, and no one got benched. So after the second period, Bob and Brian Trache and Chuck Luce walked through, and then Patty Wall stands up, and he was just like just started gave a little speech along the lines of, you know this is blanking BS, and this is you know blah blah blah. And, and he's, you know, he goes, launches in, he goes, that guy down there, he's got no balls. And I was like, well, what? And he's like, he's got no balls. He's not going to say you, Joe. He's not going to say you, Pete. He's got no balls. You guys got one period to show me if you want to win. Otherwise, I'm out of here because I want to win. And we have the team in here. But if you don't do it, I am effing out of here. That guy's got no balls. He's not going to say you. So you guys have one period to show me. And everyone's like, whoa. Whoa. And Patty never talked. He never really said much. And just a good guy, competitive guy. And everyone holy crap so then and bob heard everything so bob came in and i still love this because he kind of put bob in his place because he liked to do that to us players and you know calling me a plumber and stuff which there's nothing wrong with being a plumber <laughs> you know like, but anyways uh he came in and he heard everything and it was like uh pete joe me you guys are starting <laughs> walked out to the bench and but when patty Wah speaks so, yeah i was just saying what do you say to that Oh, no, then it was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, crap, here we go. So I just remember the third period was like, honestly, it was like a NHL all-star team playing against an American Hockey League team. I think we were down 2 nothing. I think we ended up winning 3-2 or something. But it was, from what I remember, it was just the third period was just ridiculous. Like the boys just, Patty Wall speaks, you know, because he didn't really talk very often. So when he spoke, uh, everyone listened, and that was a big wake-up call. And it was good because it was someone – it was a different voice other than the GM coming down and talking about how he believes in the team. And, you know, everyone respected Pierre. and You know, the coach can yell and whatever. But it was just a different, different voice, voice of a guy who didn't – you know, Patty didn't really talk that much. He was a quiet guy and just – he just was awesome. He was, you know, one of the best, if not the best, at his position and just very quietly just was a competitor and – for him to stand up and, you know, say his piece, basically, like, it's up to you guys in here. You guys got to show me whether you want to win or not. Well, he's you a know, guy that's been go. there. Yeah, he's a guy that had been there. And when he spoke up, everybody listened. And it, it just kind of, 
you take what he says serious because he doesn't say much. And so when he does, it's the real deal. Yeah, man, that's uh, all right. Here we go. It was like the Braveheart, like freedom. Let's go. <laughs> we're going through a wall. So Awesome. So we're rolling through, heading back to Colorado for game <laughs> five, and everyone is expecting the Avalanche to wrap up the series. But Felix Potvin, the LA Kings goalie, has other ideas. He ends up making 20 saves, and the Kings end up winning one and nothing. The Avalanche were loaded offensively during this time, and it was a rough night for the offense. The Kings ended up winning one nothing. You had a little bit of a collision with Felix Potvin, we'll call it. All these years later, intentional, not intentional. Your thoughts? I don't even remember, to be honest with you. <laughs> then you know what? It was uh, it was not intentional. It was a complete accident. I don't know. Yeah. It might have been. Like, honestly, uh, to, be, to be perfectly honest with that series, like, you remember certain things at different times. And I just remember, I just remember that series getting a chance. I remember I played a lot of my minutes were against uh, Schneider, the defenseman. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, I just got him to draw penalties because I just hit him. Like, I'd hit him clean, and he'd take a retaliatory penalty. And, you know, I just remember, like, every like in that series, I, I, the most minutes I might have played was maybe five minutes, to be honest with you. Um, but I'd get four or five shots a game, maybe six. Like, it was just – I was just trying to just buy myself another game, to be honest with you. So, if I ran into him, maybe it was intentional, maybe it was unintentional on purpose. I, subconsciously, I don't – to be honest, I don't really call. I just remember that – you know, we had him down, and then Felix Podvan was unbelievable. He played – he was terrific, I think, going into game seven. And I think uh, that's when the wheels kind of fell off because I remember I was a healthy scratch for that game. And I was disappointed, and guys were disappointed, and uh, you know, because I was playing really well. But Bob, whatever, had his reasons. And, yeah, it's just – I just remember we had him down, and it just comes to show you that if you have a good goalie or – you have a guy who's on the top of his game, he can keep you in a game and win you games and possibly win you series. You just said it. The LA Kings ended up tying it up in game six, one nothing with a one nothing yeah. win. You end up getting scratched for game seven. The team ends up pulling away. So the Avalanche end up, though, coming out and stopping the Kings to end the game seven drought. And, and this is something I'm just kind of curious about. You were scratched for that game, and they they played well without you. As a player, does that worry you that you go, oh, my God, they did everything right? Am I not going to get another chance? Does that ever come into your head? No, because I mean, it depends on the guy. But for me, I mean, it was just fun. It was fair, fair enough. Be, I mean, just being a part of that team was just—it was unbelievable. And it, you know, I was I sour. I was not playing absolutely. Like guys knew I was sour. You know, I didn't bitch. I didn't moan. I just, you know, guys know. Like everyone that plays, you know, because they knew. And most guys knew it probably wasn't right that I wasn't playing, but. You know, the coach is the coach, and he's going to decide who he wants to play. And, you know, he made a change, and we won. And it was changing me and not having my five minutes or six minutes, whatever it was. Is that was that the reason why we won? I mean, I don't know. Who probably knows? Not. Yeah, you, you, probably not. Yeah. But, you know, but whatever. It worked, and, you know, I just looked at it. that uh, you know, we won. So I had another chance to get back in the lineup. So I didn't look at it that way. I just looked at it that I was happy for our team. and. You know, we were a team. We were we had you know fantastic players and great players. But what made us a team was that you know our great players and our Reap Marks and you know our top guys and our Patrick Laws were team guys. They were you know team first guys. <clears throat> you know they'd had their good seasons with you know their points and but they wanted to win and that's what that's what made it such a good atmosphere. Where if you weren't playing, you you know you're understandably if you're a competitor, you want to play and. You know, I was upset, but you know, it was about the team. It was team first, and it was about winning and getting on to the next uh, next series. I love that story about Patrick Waugh and Bob Hartley 
where Patrick Wall goes, he's got no balls. Go out there and do your thing. I just love those kind of stories, and I'm glad Chris shared that with us. He shares a bunch more during part two, which will air on Thursday at 8 a.m., so we'll catch you on the flip side then. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Snapshots In and on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History. We'll talk to you soon. See you Thursday. 